We've got some folk with us today, and it's their first time in this church, and we've waited for them to come for a long time. And so I'm delighted to welcome Dev's family. Uh, Dev's been with us for some months now. Dev, would you, would you, we'll let you greet you, welcome. Thank you. Many of you will know Dev, he's been working at AXA, and he's been with us for some months now, just a great servant of Jesus, and it's been delightful to begin to get to know him a little bit. But he's been waiting for his wife and children to come, uh, to be with us here in the UK and to be with him. So he's going to be the most delighted of all, because it's been a long time. But welcome. Thank you. Great to see you. Uh, And it's fitting that you're here today, because I want to talk about uh, situations where sometimes there's a big gap between us waiting for things, or sometimes where we feel God's gone away somewhere and we're wondering where he's gone. And I just want to talk about this. It's, I've got some really simple points today, and I'm going to tell a story from, it's a bit of a weird story in the Bible, but I think it's, it certainly spoke to me, and I hope it does to you too. <clears throat> Maybe you've ever been in that situation where, you know, you, things seem to be going quite well. Maybe you're in a football match and you score a goal, and then just before the end, the opposition score. And the hope that you had in your heart is gone, and it's disappeared, and it just, it's just a draw at the end, and it's kind of a nondescript result. Maybe you've ever been in that kind of situation, uh, or maybe you've just watched it on telly. <laughs> maybe you've been in the situation where you've been going along in life, and you, you just, you know, you weren't expecting to end up where you did. You weren't expecting things to feel like they did, and, and as a Christian, you've been following Jesus, but no one told you it would feel like this. And you've ended up somewhere, and the euphoria that you had once has disappeared, and you've ended up somewhere, and you think, well, how, how did I get here? Because I look at them, and, and their life seems to be okay, and things seem to be good for them, and but where I am doesn't seem to feel the same. I want to talk about today when promise and fulfillment seem far apart. Maybe when a prophetic word's been given and nothing's happened yet, or you've You've lost that sense of excitement around God and just that awe and wonder of being in his presence. And worship's going on, even in a room like this, and we were quite restrained today. I think we, we, we need to, I don't want to preach too long, so I'd love to get the band back up to get back into worshipping Jesus again, because there's, there there's more we need to press into as a church in worship and, and in adoring our Savior. But as that's going on, There's sometimes a disconnect, and and you're aware that other people are singing and worshipping, but somehow it doesn't seem to be happening for me. And I suppose that's kind of the area I want to talk about today. I want to help with a story, and this story has adventures and battles. It's got a needy king and a whole crowd of extras, an unlikely hero and a talking donkey. And it's not Shrek. <laughs> if ever you've heard of it, this story is most likely you've heard of it because of the talking donkey. Um, but I don't want to talk about that particularly. It's the story of Balaam. And this is going to be from Numbers 22. I don't have all the verses on the screen today. I've just got a few, few uh, points that I'm making today. But do have a look uh, in your Bibles if you have them, on your phone, iPad, whatever you've got, or actually a paper Bible. If you haven't, I'm going to read it anyway, so just, just follow along as I read. Numbers 22. And the context for this story is this, that God's people, Israel, have been promised some land. And they've been slaves up to this point, but now they've left Egypt. They're on their way to take hold of the land that 
theirs. It's been promised to them by God. But they haven't got there yet. And they've been journeying around. And, and actually, just before we get to this particular chapter, what's happened is that they've asked a king of a certain bit of land that they want to go through, permission to go through the land. They said, please can we travel through your land. We'll keep to the king's highway. We won't go off and take any food. We won't go off and take any water. We just want to go through your land and we'll keep to the main road and we just want to walk through, please, to get to the land God's given us. We're not going to disturb you at all. And the king has said to them, no, you can't come through. It's the king of the Amorites. He said, no, you're not coming through. And he's amassed his soldiers and they've gone to fight Israel. And Israel weren't expecting this, but God's helped them and they've won the battle and the Amorites are killed. So they've now taken over the Amorites' land which they weren't planning to do. They just wanted to walk through. And the same happens for the king of Bashan. So he does exactly the same thing. He says, well, I'm going to fight you as well, and turns up, and of course, God's blessing Israel, and they win that battle too. And so the Israel, Israelites carry on onto this next phase of their journey. And we come into this story as they've just arrived next to a place called Moab, which is the next spot on the journey. They're just trying to go through to get to the land God's given. And this is what it says in Numbers 22. And the Israelites traveled along the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan opposite Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the river Euphrates in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They come out of the, they cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. And the elders of Midian and Moab left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. This story we've got is in three parts today. And I'm going to unpack those a little bit and then make some various points about what we're seeing here. And I just want to just make it clear at the beginning, neither of these guys are the heroes, really. Balak, the needy king, Balaam, the diviner, he's not a great hero in this story. He does have one good trait that I can see here, is that he decides to only speak what God tells him to speak, which is great. But his method of getting that word from God isn't particularly good, and his character doesn't seem great. And he's a bit of a stubborn guy, and he's not really observing all that God's doing. But in one thing at least, he's saying, I won't speak anything that God doesn't tell me to speak. And he's holding to that. So that's kind of not quite a redeeming feature, but it's a good point. But he does hear from God, this guy. And that's quite impressive. So the three, three parts, the three scenes are this. The drama of Balak and Balaam, the king and the diviner, firstly, and their relationship. Secondly, Balaam's prophecies that he speaks over Israel. Because Balak the king has said, come, I want you to come to my land and I'm going to stand you on a hill and I want you to speak over Israel. And if you say they'll be defeated, they will be. Because everything you say gets defeated is. And that's the plans. But Balaam speaks God's word, which is a word of blessing over Israel, which Balak doesn't like, obviously. 
And then thirdly, there's Israel's response, and that's the bit I really want to get into. So scene one, Balaam the prophet, the speaker on various gods' behalf, I think, but this time he's been asked to speak on Yahweh's behalf. God says to him, don't go. So he says, well, I'm not coming. And then a little bit later on, God says to him, go, and he he just packs up his stuff and off he goes, but he doesn't ask again of God how he should go, and, and this is the story that some people have heard. Then God sends an angel to go and stop him on the journey because God's a bit frustrated that Balaam's just gone on his way without really checking back in with God again about the message he should take and how he should do it and just making sure that everything's okay. And so the angel stops the donkey that he's riding and, and Balaam kind of doesn't like this because he gets thrown off the donkey and squashed by the donkey and all sorts of things. So he beats the thing up. And uh, then the donkey talks to him, which is all a bit bizarre. But this is how the story unfolds in the previous chapter. And then he finally sees that the angel of God has been sent by God to, to warn him about where he's going and what he's doing. And God still tends him to go, but he's going now with a bit of a check in his heart and a bit more awareness that he needs to take this thing seriously. That's scene one. And he goes to sp- speak to Balak, and he sees him, and, and there's this conversation about what he will or won't do, and he says, I'll only speak God's word. Scene two is where Balaam is speak, beginning to speak words from God for over the Israelites. And just as an example, he speaks several of these words, several prophecies. And one of them is in Numbers chapter 24. There's, there's several. This is actually the third prophecy. So he's been asked to speak words of judgment over Israel, and he can't. He keeps speaking words of blessing, and this is what he says. Numbers 24, verse 5. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. Your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the water. Waters will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations. And they break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed. And those who curse you be cursed. Now, you can imagine at this point that the king who's hired this guy, he sent him with money to go and get this prophet, to go and bring him back to speak some negative words. At this point, it's a little bit miffed. He's like, oh, I've tried. this is the third prophecy now. We've tried three times And every time, this guy just keeps speaking blessing. He keeps speaking these rich, abundant blessings over Israel. And no matter what Balak is doing, he he can't get Balaam to prophesy destruction. It's amazing. And and, and as he's trying to frustrate God's blessing and trying to bring in a counter-proposal, God is just speaking words of life over his beloved nation. He's speaking truth and life and prosperity and blessing. And he's saying, these are my people. You can't curse them. I'm blessing them. And the truth is that what God is blessing, nobody can stand against. Nobody can curse. Nothing can come against and defile or destroy because God is blessing it. And it's awesome. So at this point, we've done kind of scene one, scene two. You've got Balaam on top of the mountain just prophesying, blessing, blessing, blessing. Come on. God's victorious. The evil king's plans are frustrated. And God wins. Hooray. The people are blessed. But that's not the end of the story. There's a scene three, and that's the bit we need to get to. 
Because scene three, after three chapters of blessing, after three chapters of prophetic words, after three chapters of, of God stepping in through a, a man who's not one of his own children, he's not a prophet of God, he's just a diviner who's paid to go and do some stuff to try and hear from God a bit. After God has used this man to prophesy blessing, we come then to see what's happening in a different part of the story. It's like the scene changes and the story shifts. And we get this. Chapter 25. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices, sorry, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before their gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. Suddenly, the scene cuts from this great prophetic victory where God's using a complete numpty to speak a blessing over his people, and they're blessed, and nothing can stand against it. And, And the scene changes to the blessed people. And suddenly, because God's not been around for a while, because they've not been aware of what's been going on, because their, their eyesight's changed and they're, they're kind of just a bit bored, perhaps, or deceived, suddenly they're now taking up with sexual immorality and, and worshipping false gods. They're like, they've, they've not seen what's been going on at all. I don't think they're aware of this, this hidden battle. I don't think they're aware of what's going on behind the scenes. I don't think they've been aware of this prophetic tussle that's been going on or how God's been fighting. They're just sitting there going, well, where is he then? Where's God gone? He was here a minute ago. Well, should we just, well, why don't we go and sleep with these women and do all sorts of things? And why don't we go and worship false gods? That seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Bizarre things happen when you're in the gap. Really bizarre things happen. When you've been in a certain place walking with God and then suddenly you think, well, What's happened? I'm disorientated. Oh, well, I'll do this then instead. Strange, strange things happen. A similar thing happens to the Israelites in Exodus 20 through to 31, 11 chapters. Moses is up a mountain talking to God. And God's giving him the law. And God's, while Moses is up the mountain, God's saying, well, here you go. I want you to do this, 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 and this. This This is what I want my people to do. Moses gets down the mountain and discovers that while he's been up there in the awesome presence of God, the people have got a bit bored and said, well, perhaps he's never coming down again. Can you please, to Aaron, the high priest, can you please create us a false god so that we can worship it, please? You think I'm making this up? I couldn't make it up. This is what Israel's doing twice in just a couple of books. It's the same people, or same nation, doing this crazy stuff where, where God has just seems to be missing for a little while, and they've just run wild. The time... Times when all goes quiet from God and nothing's happening. Maybe you've asked for some help from God and nothing's come and you've wondered what the point is. And you've said, God, where are you in the gap? I can't feel you. I can't see you anymore. What's, what's happening? Maybe you've prayed and you've heard nothing. Or you need something from God and it hasn't arrived yet. I think these gaps appear between our past and our present experiences. When, where we are now doesn't feel the same as it used to feel. There's a gap between, sometimes between revelation and realization where God speaks and we haven't yet seen it fulfilled. There's a gap between expectation and experience. 
I didn't think it would look like this. There's a gap between promise and fulfillment, between prayer and answer, and between our head and our hearts. I want to just tell you some truths, though, about these gaps. Oh, that's, sorry, I forgot this bit. There we go. That's the nation. That's where they were. That's Moab just there. They were arriving through here to get to Israel. There we go. Truth number one. When God seems far away, he's busy working on your behalf. The truth is that while Israel was down here somewhere, having words of blessing spoken over them by God through this guy, Balaam, while they're down here, what's God doing? He's arranging for this great prophetic battle to take place. He's arranging for declarations to be spoken over his beloved nation. He's frustrating the plans of the enemy that would do his nation down. God's massively at work, and the people of Israel are down here going, where, where is he then? Have you seen God? You felt him recently? Have you seen him? Have you, do you know what he's up to? No, not, not this week. No, maybe, we'll just, maybe he isn't real then. Maybe he's not interested anymore. Maybe we'll just pack it up and go somewhere else. And, and you think that, that seems so foolish, and, and I'm painting it a little bit foolishly, but actually in our own hearts, those same feelings ha- occur. The same thoughts occur when, when suddenly God's not doing the same things anymore that he used to, and we don't feel him in the same way, and maybe we've prayed and nothing's happened, and we, we're in this gap. And maybe you're not going off with a load of Moabite women and worshipping false gods, but that might just be because the opportunity hasn't arisen yet. It might be because you wouldn't do those sort of things, because we're far too spiritual and we're far too religious. We're far too close to Christ, but actually in our own hearts there can become a hardening and a reinforcing of of our own attitudes and actions at times. You see, in the gap, God was busy and Balaam was speaking life over Israel. In the gap, Jesus was raised from the dead. There was a gap while the Holy Spirit was raising Christ from the dead and while God was defeating death, while God was defeating sin and destruction, was reversing the curse was destroying sickness and ultimately death. There was a gap while Jesus was dead in the tomb and it seemed like nothing was happening, but God was at work. He was busy working on their behalf. He hadn't given up on them. There was a gap when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. There was a gap when Israel left Egypt and hadn't yet got to the Promised Land. But God was working on their behalf. And a generation who had never been slaves were raised up so they could live free. There was a gap after Jesus had risen from the dead and then ascended to heaven. There was a gap before the Holy Spirit came and the church was empowered and able to live for God powerfully. And during all of that time, God was at work. I don't want to say this to all of us today. In the tough times when you're waiting, in the tough times, God hasn't stopped working. He's still working on our behalf. Uh, The Word of God says that he upholds the universe by the power of his word. The truth is, if nothing else, if God stopped upholding the universe by his power of his word, everything would fall apart. We're only able to draw breath because God is sustaining us. We're only able to be alive because God is, is working in us. And all the time, he's at work on our behalf. And it's humbling to realize it. few of us uh, this week helped Matt and Helen move house. Um, and it was good. They'd been moved into a house in Pembury. Many of you know Matt and Helen. And uh, 
Uh, they're settling in. Boxes are being unpacked. It's great. But this, their story is that they had to wait months and months and months to get the house that they had put an offer on. And they had all sorts of opportunities to pull out and other houses going up for sale and coming, you know, just wondering what should we do. But they felt it was right to hang on. And that gap was an uncomfortable one, but they're in the right place where they believe God wants them to be. And it's a story of God's goodness, but there was this whole many, many months while other people's house sales were going through and finishing and people were moving in. Um, I think they, they were saying their next door neighbor's house went up roughly the same sort of time as theirs. Um, and they, the folk have moved in already months before. Matt and Helen got into their place and they're already doing stuff to it. Incredibly frustrating. But during all that time, God was working on their behalf. Simple thing like a house move. My mum is in Mozambique on mission. Many of you will have heard her story. Uh, and her story is this, that it's only really in these last couple of years that she's just begun to see God do something brand new in her, something different in her, that's a result of his continued incremental work over, the, over many years, but particularly these last few years, God has stepped that up. And, and sometimes she's not been sure what God's doing. She's always held on to him and trusted him, but God's been able to do a deeper work in a different way. And he's always been working on her behalf, and he is on all of ours. When it seems like God's doing nothing, he's at work. Secondly, when it seems like God is far away, what was true before is still true now. We read later on in the Bible that Balaam the prophet, actually told the king, Balak, to entice the Israelites to worship false gods and have sexual relations with the Moabite women. We read that elsewhere. And the people of Israel swapped the call of God for their idols, for those false idols. They swapped freedom for constraint. They swapped truth for falsehood. I've said already it wasn't the only time that they've done this. But they chose to do that. Just because God seemed far away, it didn't make him not true. While they were busy wondering where God had gone, all the truths that God had given them about not worshipping false idols, about being sexually pure, about being a people that only worshipped him, still held true. All those truths about who God was were still true, and yet they'd let go of them. It's tempting to make up answers when answers aren't coming from God. You know, maybe you've prayed for something or someone and you've not seen the result yet that you want. It's very tempting to fill that gap with answers. And say, well, God obviously hasn't done it yet because it must be because of this, 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 or this. And we make ourselves slightly more comfortable by filling in the gap with some answers. The Bible doesn't usually give us answers on that issue. It says, if, if you're waiting for something from God, keep praying, keep trusting. Have faith in God. It doesn't say, stop praying, stop trusting, stop having faith, and fill the gap with some answers to make yourself feel better. It, it doesn't say that. It says, just hang on. Just trust God. What was true about God before the gap is true now. What was true about God's promises before the gap are true now. You know, sometimes expectation and reality can be different, can't they? And I think I spoke a couple of weeks ago about comparison, and I mentioned social media and Facebook and how, I didn't quite say it like this, but effectively what goes up there is everybody else's highlight reel. 
is the best bits. And yet, when we look at our own lives, we see behind the scenes. And our comparison is what we're doing is we're comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel, and that's not helpful. But sometimes our, our, uh, there's a difference between our expectation and our reality. And we can look at other people's experience of God, and we can say, my life really doesn't look like them. But the truth is that if there was a time at which God felt closer, you felt more alive, you felt more you were walking closer with God, what was true then is still true now. The truths about God and his relationship with Israel were just the same when they couldn't sense him and couldn't feel him and he was busy up on a mountain with Balaam as they were before then. Just the same. Nothing had changed. The truths of who they were, the truths of their calling, the truths of their relationship with God hadn't changed. But they'd lost sight of them because something felt different in here. Thirdly, Oh, here we go. When God seems far away, how we respond really matters. In this story that we're looking at today, Balaam on the mountain, on the hillside, kind of speaking words over them, the Israelites down here, how they respond really matters in those moments. It really does. People lost their lives for the sake of disobedience. I just want to explain today that our response in the gap makes a huge difference. You see, Abraham was a man called by God. And there was a huge gap in time between the call and the fulfillment of that call. And how Abraham responded in that gap enabled him to be credited with righteousness, to be the father of God's people, to be one who's, who's credited with being at the, at the forerunner of the, the whole of the Israelite nation, but also of our faith today. He's our example in so many ways. He wasn't perfect. He messed up. He was fearful at times. But in that gap, he still trusted God. Moses was the same. King David was the same. Jesus was the same. When he he knows he's called, at 12 years old, he finds himself in the temple. And he's discussing with the religious leaders. And he's debating with them. And his his parents have lost him. And they're going home, and they've lost Jesus. And they say, where is he? Oh, we'll go back and find him. And they go back to Jerusalem, and Jesus is there in the temple. And he says to them, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Uh, At that age, he's got a sense of calling. He knows where he's to be. He knows who he is, or he's beginning to understand it. And yet, he's got to wait for another 18 plus years to a baptism. When John the Baptist is baptizing people, and Jesus himself is baptized, and he's anointed by the Holy Spirit, nothing happens in that time that we read of. He's a carpenter. He's learning his trade. He's chatting to people. But all the time, he's waiting. All the time, God's at work in the gap. You see, in the gap in our lives, God is is looking for people he can bless. When you're struggling, when you're straining, when you're struggling, when you're ready to give up, God's just looking for anyone who's prepared just to hold out a hand and say, God, I don't like this, but I'm holding on to you. I don't like this, but I'm trusting you. God, I'm not going to let you go. God, I'm determined to hold on to your promise. Despite what I can see, I'm going to hang on to you. All he's looking for is faith. You see, when we read the stories of people in the Bible, I think we skip over some bits. I think this is what happens when we're reading the stories of great biographies of people or or stories in the Bible. We skip, we pass over the silences to get to the stories. But I think it's only because of the silences that the stories happen at all. 
to the gaps in people's lives, the boring bits, the, the 30 years, the 40 years in the wilderness. We skip over that. Oh, Moses was in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, yeah. let's get to the story. Jesus was growing up from 12 to 30. Yeah, let's skip over. Let's get to the story. But it's only because of the silence that the stories happen. It's because the decisions made, when everything's against you, it's the decisions that you make when, when you don't sense God anymore, when, you, when worship isn't exciting, when, when church isn't just doing it for you, whatever it might be. It's the decisions that you make in those moments that determine what happens next. And if we go with our gut, well, I think you've seen the consequences today in this story. They might not be that severe, but... But a gut isn't always a good reflex, a good response to have. It's not always a good guide on to how we should respond. It's a, it's a guide that something's happening. Our emotions are a brilliant guide to say, woo, something's going on. But they don't actually tell you what to do. That's where our faith needs to kick in, where our emotions are saying, ah, oh, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this. And faith and the word of God and truth and revelation kicks in. And we apply those things into our feelings. And we speak into our circumstances and we do what David does in the Psalms and he says, sing my soul. Sing out my soul. Praise God my soul because he's speaking inwardly and saying, come on. We're going to praise God right now. We're going to lift our eyes to see the king and we're going to praise him. What are the alternatives to grabbing hold of God in faith? Well, I've been told... And I may even have told people this in the past, that it's okay to shout at God, to have a good rant at God and tell him how you feel. And people have said that to me. I said, Stuart, what do you think about this? And as I was reflecting on this message, I, I thought, well, maybe that's true. And I was reminded of Little Stars, an amazing group we have here on a Wednesday. Some of you help with that. Gemma leads it. And uh, this, this group where this room is just heaving with people. And most of them are, well, many of them are little. They're from babes up to about three, four. So it's absolute chaos. Ordered chaos, there's structure to it. And we imp- there's some bits that we impose, you know, it's kind of a little bit of time of order. But when you, when you look at it kind of down at a little level, it just seems chaotic. And every week there's a child at some point, because there's, probably 50-plus kids here most weeks, plus the carers. So it's a lot of people. Uh, every, point at some, some, every week, some point, there's a child who loses contact with mum or their carer. Uh, and there's a child just stand, either standing screaming or running out of the door or going to random strangers and holding their legs and looking up and, no, no, not you, wondering. And the response is different for each one, but often they're very upset. And there's a child responding and, and sometimes shouting. And it's interesting to see what happens when they're reunited. You see, sometimes the, the, the kids are really grateful. And they're just, oh, and they're sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. They're, they're kind of great, gratitude might be a bit much, but they're just sobbing and they're kind of desperate. And I think as they get older, maybe they're a bit more grateful. And, and some as they get older still are quite accusatory. As the kids get older, where did you go? I've been upset. Where were you? And you may have said this yourself at some point, or had someone say it to you. I was worried. I was, I'd lost you. But actually, the parent hasn't done anything wrong. The kids have gone off playing and, and gone from toy to toy to toy and got a bit distracted, and they lost track of where the parent is, 
and the parents just move very slightly to have another conversation, and the child turns around, and they're not where they were expecting them to be, and the child says, oh, that's your fault. Look at me, I'm a mess, and it's all down to you. So I'm going to answer the question, is it okay for us to shout as God, and say, yes, it is, because people do that when they're three. So if you want to act like a three-year-old, it's perfectly okay to shout at God. But actually, maybe, just maybe, it's reflecting an immature approach to a relationship based on our need and how we feel, and we're projecting that onto somebody else, and perhaps, just maybe, it's time for us to grow up. Maybe shout a little and get that off our system and say, God, I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to declare your praise. I'm going to hold on to you and trust you in the storm. And it's not easy. And you seem far away. Actually, you haven't moved. And actually, your Holy Spirit still fills me. And actually, you still love me just as much as you always have. And you've still called me, and I'm still your child. And I'm going to worship you in this place. All this matters because if we don't do this, we might miss what God is doing. I don't want to be like the Israelites, missing God's battles for me and on my behalf. Because we've got a glorious Father who's fighting for us. And he loves us. I don't want to miss the fact that the truths of God are still true today. And I don't want to miss the work God is doing in the silences in my life. How do we apply all this to our lives? This simple story. Well, I think we actively choose faith when doubt would be easier. We actively reject hope over fear. We remind ourselves of the power and love of God. Sometimes I need to speak truth to myself and tell myself what's actually going on. Because my emotions, my eyes, my everything else are telling me something else is happening, but God's word of truth tells me something different. So I actually need to speak truth. I'm not fooling myself, but I, you can, because we know the end of the story. It's here. The end of the story in, in Revelation, but also the truths about God's kingdom, they beat whatever else I can see. So I can speak truth. Stay faithful. (laughs) Stay faithful and there's no compelling reason to do so. Maybe you don't feel like there's a good reason to stay faithful, but stay faithful to God anyway. Finally, we believe that whatever's happening with that gap and however bad it feels, God's grace is enough to sustain us and provide. I wonder if we could pray. Because I just... I reckon that I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this. I reckon I'm not the only one who's found themselves at some point in a gap. Guys, would you get the band back on stage? I don't think I'm the only one who's ever found themselves in a gap and saying, I don't like how this feels. I remember sharing some time ago, about a time a year or so ago, when I was feeling all sorts of things. And I'd actually gone for a bit of a shout not blaming God, but just getting some stuff off my chest. And then it occurred to me in the middle of all this that the question shouldn't be, God, where have you gone? But the question I did end up asking was, God, where have I gone? Because God was still there. And hadn't gone anywhere, but I had. I'd lost track and lost sight. And maybe that's your story today. Maybe you feel like you're in a gap. You feel like God's far away. You don't know what's happening. You can't see him anymore. And you've lost track of the fact that he's fighting on your behalf. You've lost track of the fact that what was true yesterday is still true today. (coughs) And actually the power of response is in your hands. I want to pray for you. Can we just close our eyes, please?
Just close your eyes and just respond to Jesus where you are. Maybe this isn't for you right now. Praise God for that.